Turn with me to the first chapter of Philippians. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. No doubt these are familiar verses. To many of you, you're probably aware that this is Philippians, is one of Paul's prison epistles, likely written from Rome and confined as he was when you're under house arrest, generating revenue from your tent-making business gets a little hard. So he was more isolated, more dependent on outside support than he normally would have been on his missionary journeys. And so the Philippians, upon hearing of his situation, decided to put together a gift and to send it with one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, to help out and also to send their own affection to this apostle in his imprisonment. And they had done so despite having some very real needs of their own. No doubt they could have used that money locally. They weren't in great financial shape. Sending off one of their leaders, embarking on a dangerous journey like this, was probably quite the risk as well. And so this entire letter is Paul's reply. You know how you you, you read an email and you hit reply? This is his reply to their happy sacrifice on his account. And perhaps no passage in the book captures that sentiment better than these verses. And so with this context fresh in our minds, let's read Philippians 1, 3 to 6 together today. This is God's Word speaking to us this morning. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit anoint his word this morning. Well, I don't know how many of you had the chance to watch the, uh, the SpaceX launch this past week. Um, first time in history, you probably are aware that, that an all-civilian crew was launched off into space. They returned successfully yesterday. Our family gathered around the computer. We were at the, at the dinner table. We gathered around the computer and turned on to watch the whole thing. We watched the countdown. We watched the rocket ignition. We watched the flight up into orbit. I was hoping to see kind of the views that the crew was getting to see, but we didn't get to see that. But we watched all of it, and while the footage on board was, was incredible, what I think I enjoyed watching the most was the live feed, the live feed of the command center, right? So all these people are set up, and they're watching what's going on. Some of you had the chance to, to do something similar to that recently. Uh, but every time a milestone was successfully completed, this group, which had labored together for years to see this happen, this group would, would erupt into wild celebrations. They would just be so excited. And that was probably the highlight of the whole broadcast for me because they were rejoicing as one. In that moment, it didn't matter if you were on the ground crew in Cape Canaveral or you were actually strapped into the cockpit or if you were sitting behind a desk, a computer screen in California. That liftoff, that moment belonged to you. It was their fingerprints collectively that were all over that moment. 
And so as it finally left atmosphere and it finally made history, celebrating together was a fitting response. All of the labors, all of the hours, all the sacrifices, all the setbacks, the things that didn't work that they tried had finally paid off. They had done it and they had done it together. What a gift it was to watch that. And their reaction reminded me of what we as the church of Jesus Christ, what we have been brought into through the call of the gospel. Not only have we received the joy of our own personal salvation, which by itself, by itself, that would bring us an eternity, an eternity of happiness. We've also been brought together in a common mission. That's the other call that we've received in the gospel. And while each of us has received different gifts and different, different assignments, we're in different locations, the shared aim, our shared aim is one. And it's this, to see the reign of King Jesus finally and fully established on earth. To see that reign finally and fully established on earth. That means in Him, in Him, we literally get to be a part of history in the making. It's amazing to consider. And Paul, Paul sees that culmination from afar. And so he starts there and he's working backwards. He's working backwards to help the Philippians see it and how they too fit into it. That's what he's doing in these verses. And so in our time together, my prayer for us this morning has been that this passage will have that same kind of faith-building, long-term effect on our hearts and minds. That it will help us to see as Paul saw. So I'm going to spend the first part of the message this morning walking through the passage in two parts. And then, before we close, I'm going to seek to apply something of that same lens to our own history together, really, over these past eight years, and also, also to this recent season that, that you guys have been in of sowing. And so that's where we're heading today. And the two themes that are emerging from the text that we're going to consider are an overflowing gratitude, an overflowing gratitude, and an abounding confidence. An abounding confidence, overflowing gratitude we're going to see in verses 3 to 5. And abounding confidence we're going to see from verse 6. And verse 3 ushers us into directly into Paul's prayer closet. He talks about being grateful for them. He's grateful for them every time he remembers them. And when he talks about remembering them, he's talking about every time I begin to pray for you. And every time he starts to do that... He just can't help himself. He just can't, he can't, he can't contain himself. And, and his petition, when he starts off praying for their needs and, and all the things that he knows that, that they need, he begins that way. But then what he always ends up, he always ends up thanking God for them. On every occasion, that's what happens for him. But notice the orientation here. Even though I'm sure he's certainly grateful to the Philippians, to the Philippian church, his thanksgiving here is not directed towards the Philippian church. Do you see that there? That's what we would expect to read. If, if you and I get a gift, what do we do? We write a thank you note. And who do we address it to? The person that gave it to us, right? So we receive a gift. That's, that's proper form to, to send a thank you back to them. And yet it's telling that Paul is addressing his thank you note to God. He's, addressing his, he's thanking God 
for what they have done. He's honoring them, yes, but he's also being very, very careful to give credit where it's due. And that's something we could spend really all day unpacking. But it's crucial we at least recognize the statement that this makes. They had organized this effort to send him support. They'd put it together. They had gone without to make sure he was fully supported. They had taken the risks to get the delivery to him, right? They didn't have, they didn't have Amazon back then, so they had taken the risks. They didn't PayPal it over. They had taken the risks to get this to him. And yet his response is to thank God. How can that be? How can that be the case? Because in all of that, what he was watching was the grace of God. And it blessed him to no end. He could see past the visible hands of men to discern the hidden hand of God in all of this. And that always is the case. That's always the case. If a church is bearing fruit, then look where the source is. It's God's grace. That's the reason for it. And by publicly acknowledging that, rather than downplaying or degrading their own investment, now he's emphasizing it all the more. What higher compliment can someone give us than to say, every time I come before God himself, what comes to my mind when I see grace at work in your life is gratitude. That's what comes to my mind. Unless we think that this gratefulness is heavily qualified, which is in our minds that's easy to do, right? Our, our, our gratitude is heavily qualified. Lest we think that's the case, look at how many times he uses that little word all. He uses it all. That's not by accident. Underscoring the scope of his gratitude for them. Even trying to, to capture his emotion is something of a, is difficult in a readable way, is, is something of a challenge, right? Because he keeps piling one all on top of the other. It just kind of gets awkward after a while, right? He just landed them on there. Eventually you're like, Paul, we get the point. He says, in all my remembrance, not just when it's easy, always in every prayer of mine, and he's thanking God for you all, not just for a select few. Nor is this him glibly kind of glossing over the real-life issues that they're dealing with. He sees from afar some of the internal, some of the external threats and things they're dealing with. And he's going to encourage and exhort. He's going to warn about those things later on in the book. He's fully aware of those things. But first and foremost, he's able to genuinely say he's thankful for them. And as excited as he is about them as individuals, he's even more so thankful for who they have become together as a people. That's what's in view here, because there's no way, there's no way the church in Philippi could achieve the things they are doing or make the difference they are making without them functioning together as one body. Their sacrificial commitment to seeing the gospel advance, even in the midst of their own cultural hostility, that is a rare grace. And that's why he's filled with such gratitude. Such thankfulness. He doesn't rush past it. It fills him with gladness, making my prayer with joy, he says. This is a church that's getting the gospel right. Their their life together, 
Their life together is a living testament of what happens when Jesus is at the center. That's what's going on in this church. Indeed, one of the greatest indicators that a church is passionate about the gospel is that it's always radiating outward. That's a wonderful indicator that a church is passionate about the gospel. It's radiating outward, and, and, and that's not the case. That's not the case for divided or distracted followers of Jesus. They're always turning inward, right? They're always turning inward. They're a poor testimony. Inevitably, evangelism in that context is going to shrivel up. Those churches, they're, they're more like an anchor on gospel mission than a sail. They're more like an anchor. But disciples who are unified by the Spirit, unified by the Spirit and around the gospel, well, those, those are celebrating grace at work in one another's lives. Those are the ones who are inevitably, inevitably going to be turning outward. They're going to be turning outward, and which, that's exactly what verse 5 is talking about. He says, I thank God. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's, that's why he's so thankful. Because a whole lot had to be going right for them to be in a place where they can meaningfully link arms with him. And the word that he uses for partnership there, it's unique. It's unique. It's, it's the Greek word koinonia, which many of you are very familiar with. We oftentimes hear it in reference to Christian fellowship. That's normally how we use it, but we don't always think about it in terms of partnership. And depending on the context, it can mean either of those things or both of those things. In fact, the vast majority of times when Paul uses it or similar type language, he's talking about a sharing in or a participation in the gospel. He's talking about salvation, so Christian fellowship. And that's usually how we think about it as well. When we hear that word, oftentimes we think of things like community groups and discipleship, shared meals, doing life together. That's, that's a certainly appropriate because it really does mean all of those things. It means those things. But that understanding is also an incomplete picture. It's an incomplete picture because while it does mean a participation in something shared, there's also an enterprising element to the word. An enterprising element. Think of it like a limited partnership today. It's an alliance. Relationally, legally, financially, because we're, we're getting this together. Why? Because we have this firm conviction that our goals align and we know that we can accomplish so much more than any of us ever could going it alone. And so you share in the risks and you share in the sacrifices and you share in the rewards. And in a very real sense, the development of that relationship determines the failure or success of that mission. That development. And that's exactly what has developed between Paul and this local church. Koinonia in that sense. Their bond in the gospel has blossomed beyond a shared salvation all the way to a point of a shared mission. Even across the distance, his success is their own and vice versa. It's a wonderful thing to see. It's a wonderful thing to witness. His success from afar is theirs and even vice versa. And this was no temporary arrangement for them. This wasn't a short burst that kind of fizzled out. It had endured tests of time and suffering. Even since day one, through the preaching of the gospel, if you go back and read Acts 16, what do you see there? You see the Philippian jailer 
who goes from having Paul in stocks, he's his oppressor, to being his happy partner literally overnight through the preaching of the gospel. God opened Lydia's heart to believe the gospel, and then she immediately opened her home. Open heart led to an open home. And in in Acts 16, it says that she urged, she prevailed on them for the opportunity to serve. What 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 a picture of day one. But not only that, there was their glad partnership immediately. It was also unfading. Elsewhere we see in 2 Corinthians 8 that Paul, he's talking about the Macedonians. And he's holding them up as an example. And he says, this is the region where Philippi was. And he says, their readiness to care for the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. Look at the grace. They were cheerful givers. This is years after the church was established. And we get another snapshot of grace at work in their life. And, and that partnership... That partnership was still ongoing, undeterred, even up until the present. That's what that gift represented to Paul. And we see that's what genuine partnership looks like. It's eager. It's it's long haul. It's sacrificial. And it's ongoing. And every time Paul stops to think about that, to think about them, overflowing gratefulness is what rushes into his heart and mind. That's what comes when he begins to think about that. And it directly spills over into how he thinks about their future. He has this abounding confidence that grows from that. That's what we discovered in verse 6. Abounding confidence. Unlike naive American optimism, which has taken something of a blow in recent days because of its ultra-fragile, sandcastle-type condition. The gospel ushers in legitimate confidence. And Paul outlines reasons for that confidence, not the least of which is that the Philippians, their walk matches their talk. What they say is what they do. Their faith was, was was objectively, objectively observable. They had put hands and feet, and finances to their confession, even to the point of enduring hardships themselves. And that's an important piece in this verse's context, which isn't always considered. Paul isn't giving an overarching pledge to just anyone. He's writing to a specific group of people. He's writing to those who are in the trenches with him. That's who he's writing to. And yet, that truth Aware of that truth in no way dulls the impact that I am sure is meant to deliver. In no way. He's very eager to impart that same rich assurance to those who have confessed their faith in Jesus and whose lives increasingly, not perfectly, but increasingly line up with that confession. As weak weak and as imperfect as they still are, that combo, a confession and a life that looks more and more like it, It's incredibly reassuring to Paul, and he wants it to be reassuring to the Philippians as well. So this is him saying, I want you to see what I see. I want you to understand what I'm looking at when I see you. And then we see the nature of the mission itself. That keys us in on Paul's confidence, part of this abounding confidence. He calls it a good work. And that word there... It's another way to say gospel work. That's what makes it good. Those two words are synonymous there. As we've seen, Paul played 
Paul played a role by his preaching and discipling of these believers. He was the necessary messenger who paid the price to bring them the gospel. But interestingly enough, on the flip side of this whole thing, he also takes zero credit for how it transformed them. He takes zero credit. What began this work? What began this work was no feat of human eloquence or persuasion, although both were used. Get this, the message itself is what had done the heavy lifting. The gospel had gone to work in this church's life together. That's what had done it. And since that's the case, since that's the case, it introduces into their life together. Since the gospel is their foundation, that's what had been doing the heavy lifting. It introduces a powerful future element to their present circumstances. A powerful future element to their present circumstances. That's what we see at the end of the verse. He says, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The main verb, the main verb in this sentence is future tense. And therefore, the main thrust of this verse is future-oriented. That's the main point. Paul is speaking here of their salvation and their mission, not only in terms of the past or even today, but also in terms of tomorrow as well. And that's crucial for our own perspective. It's crucial. We need this gospel-rooted, future-oriented mindset to increasingly be our defining view. To that to be the thing, the thing that determines how we think and feel and invest in this present day. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord often referenced God's coming judgment. In particular, we see that in the minor prophets oftentimes. They, they, they show it to be a day of reckoning against, against the pride and evils of humanity, and it's, that's certainly accurate. But the bodily resurrection of Christ transforms how we as Christians are supposed to think about it. After Jesus gave his disciples this great commission, and he ascends into heaven, those same apostles, in light of what they had just witnessed, they began referring to that day as the day of Jesus Christ, which is exactly how Paul uses it here. That's what, the, that's what became, for him and for the early church, their fixed point of reference. Everything else was oriented around that. And the plumb line for a church's spiritual health today is still, still how her life and her values line up and contribute towards that day. That's still the plumb line, how our life and our values line up and contribute to that day of Jesus Christ. And it means that we think what we think of as important, what it is that we treasure. It's not like the rest of everybody else. What we think of as important is radically different than how the natural world thinks, how our natural minds think about things. And this is why Paul was so confident for the Philippians. He sees that future-oriented heart, that way of thinking developing in them, and it causes him to rejoice in abounding confidence for their future because completion, completion in that context is only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And brothers and sisters, 
When I think about you guys, I understand a little bit of what Paul is getting at here. I understand why he feels and says what he says about this church in Philippi. Because every time I think about what God has done in these last eight years, and really even before that, beginning before that, you're going back even further, when those things come to my mind, I thank God for you. I'm filled with an overflowing gratitude. You guys have become precious gospel partners to me. And that's been the, the case since we got going, right? I remember sitting in the back of Star Coffee. Some of you were there. We were over there in the old Star Coffee location before they moved to the other one in downtown Rock. We were there. We were sitting in the back. It was a small gathering. People were out on the street ushering people in, inviting them to come in. Come here about this new church. You know, just inviting people. I remember that. I remember John opening the meeting. And him talking about how Jesus, who Jesus was. He spent the whole opening of the meeting talking about who Jesus was and what he had done and saying how this church was going to preach that glorious gospel and was going to live it out in every area of life and how we were never going to get past the cross but only grow deeper in it. Listen, I remember setting up children's ministry in the back of Williamson County Board of Realtors building. I remember being back there trying to figure out why this little printer machine isn't working, talking to this computer. We're back there trying to figure out how to get it set up, Right? I remember that. I remember seeing your children rolling up mats and setting up chairs when we got done because that's just what we did. We served one another. I remember all the times that we were over at Caldwell Heights and we weren't sure if we were going to get in the building or not. We set up and tore down. I remember baptisms out back. I remember gathering that dirty art room to pray. I remember asking God to meet us service after service. I remember going through Daniel I remember walking through Ephesians clearly. I remember the community life growing together in this church around the gospel. I remember when we first met at True Life for our youth gatherings, how so many of you as parents saw the vision of what we were hoping to see happen, and how you made it a priority to be there even though you had busy schedules yourselves. I remember seeing us, our family, was the beneficiary of your own sacrificial giving so that I could attend the pastor's college. That simply wouldn't have been possible without your prayers and your support. And that investment has made and continues to make such a difference for me in ministry, but also for our family as a whole. I remember that. And in all those ways and countless others, you have been partners with us since day one. And it's been an absolute joy. And now over this past year, to see how God has utilized, how he's utilized all of those things, the good work, the gospel work, which he began here, which we gathered in Star Coffee to tell others about. He's now using it to turn around and then bless Christ's church and advance the gospel in Conroe. That's been nothing short of miraculous. And even in our short time there, we have seen God do jaw-dropping things. I could spend hours, hours up here recounting the ways that we have seen God powerfully at work through this revitalization. And not only 
miraculous provision and finances and logistics and everything else that you have to have happen, but also in hearts and in the community. We've witnessed a, a lady in her 80s be baptized because she wanted to publicly profess her love for Jesus. Just this week, I received an email from one of the longtime members expressing, I have this newfound joy. I have this freedom in Christ. And it was something I didn't even know I was missing until I've been hearing the gospel like it's brand new. On Wednesday, I talked with a member who was recounting how God's Word has brought such a clarity and a conviction to her in recent days, and how she can't wait to see what God is going to do next. We started having some impromptu basketball games on the hoop that you guys helped us put up. And now, people are shocked to find out I'm the, uh, the senior pastor there. One, one kid told me, you don't look old enough to be the senior pastor. He said, I'm older than you think. Now we have more young people beginning to attend. We have one family who lives in the surrounding neighborhood. They say, I thought this church had actually closed. I drove by. I didn't think anything was going on here. But then they saw the signs of new life, and now they're attending regularly. They're asking for how they can join and begin to serve this church. Church is singing again when we gather. They're singing the praises of Jesus. Jesse's leading us in worship. He's doing a fantastic job. You guys know that. But they're singing. You can hear the voices. Every week, you can hear the praise and the response growing. It gets louder every week. Just this past Sunday, we sat after the service. We talked about how to, we could launch a children's ministry ourselves. We presented a vision for how we could steward the gospel for the next generation. And how we could partner with families in discipleship and what that looks like. And how God is bringing so many families to our doorstep. We began to meet some of our neighbors in our neighborhood. We got into our home we're, we're, they're building this whole street all at one time. And so we're starting to, to welcome folks into the neighborhood. Get to know them. Some of them are already dealing with some heavy things. Some of the things that John was talking about, how you can just open conversation. They're dealing with heavy things. And it's opening up doors. And all of this is happening. All of this is happening during COVID, mind you. It's all in the middle of all this. So we see, brothers and sisters, this, this is what gospel advance looks like. This is what it looks like. It's what it looked like in the first century, and it's what it looks like in the 21st century. And all of those things, stuff I just referenced to you, that's only possible because you as a church family, brothers and sisters, you are living in light of the day of Christ. You're looking to that day. We couldn't be doing what we're doing without your sacrifice, without you sending your best, without you covering on a Sunday because somebody else is gone, has moved down there. We couldn't be doing it without you sending your best, without you coming down in droves to help us in the blazing hot August sun, to help us in a work day and then to stay over to celebrate our adoption. Listen, you simply don't do those things if eternity's not in view. You don't do those things. They don't make sense apart from that. And it speaks volumes for how the gospel has gone to work in this church. By the grace of God, there is a good work happening here. It's good work. And every time I think about this dear church family, all those things come to mind. I'm so grateful. I'm so 
thankful. As I think about your own future, I want you to know I hope you see what I'm seeing here. I hope you're holding up that final view, the only one that ultimately matters. And hope you're evaluating what God is doing here in light of that day. It will bring you fresh faith. It will bring you fresh strength. And if you've been holding back, if you've been holding back in any way from from serving in this church, or giving financially, or joining in the community life and the prayer meetings that are happening regularly here, if you're holding back at all, then I pray that this truth, this truth would encourage you to dive in all the way. God's Spirit is at work in this church. I know that for a fact. I see it. And sure, sure, there's going to be hard times. Sure, there's going to be setbacks along the way. Those, those are to be expected. That's, that's what happens in this world. And yet, I can't help but having a bounding confidence for what's in store for this church. Abounding confidence. And I hope, I hope you have that too. Because one day soon, it's going to be our turn to erupt in celebration. The church from Round Rock, those who are serving in children's ministry, those who are helping set up the sound, those who are delivering meals. The church in Conroe. All the places we've been stationed, assigned to serve this kingdom. We're all going to be called home. We're all going to be gathered into his presence forever and ever. And here's the good news. Jesus will be crowned. King of kings and Lord of lords. And his praise is going to echo and resound from every corner of the globe. That's why we're here today. That's what we're working for. That's our guide. Because you are helping us at Christ Church to stand up on our own feet. It's our absolute privilege and joy to link arms with you, Redemption Hill, as we go forward. Because I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. It's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then, let's party. Right? Let's do it together. Please join me in prayer. Father, we stand in awe again of what Jesus accomplished that day on the cross. How even as he suffered and bled and died, Lord, you knew who we were. You knew the calling that you would place on our lives, the spirit that you would pour out, and how you draw us into being one people around your cross. And Lord, just how you in so many ways are doing this all over the world. It's not just us, but Lord, what a gift it is to to be included in that number. And so, Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We, We pray that 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 sense of gratitude, 
had a bounding confidence that Mark Paul, even sitting in prison, Lord, they would just flow in our own hearts and minds. Lord, I, I just personally want to say thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you that, Lord, you have done this good work. What a gift it's been to our family. I look around, I see these kids, I think what a gift it is for them. Future generations. And Lord, we look out. And we ask that you would continue. Do what only you can do so that you receive the glory. And Lord, increase our heart and our mind. That future oriented, give us that, we ask. Help us in the midst of the chaos of a week to have that reminder be echoing in our lives. And then send us, Lord. Send us to where you'd have us to go. Thank you for the partnership that we enjoy together in Jesus. It's more than just, it's more than just contracts, Lord. It is, it is truly built together. And we love you and we praise you. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day where you will be glorified. That's what we desire. Have your way in us until that day we ask. In Jesus' name.